Hi everyone, I'm Mike Novogratz and this is Next with Nova. Guys, I'm back here in the seat next with Nova with big Al Harrington. Uh, I'm really excited for this talk. I met Al when he was still playing hoops and uh, he came out to the Hamptons and shot hoops one day and my kids were like, dad, that's Al Harrington. I was like, I know, I know. <laughs> and I just liked him. And anyway, uh, first of all, welcome. Thanks, man. It's funny. Just real quick on that story. You was the first person to ever get me on a helicopter. And I <laughs> And I was so fu- I was so nervous, bro. I was like, <laughs> it was one pilot. I would kept thinking, like, what if something happens to him? But then you had your kids in the in the uh, in the helicopter too. So I was like, this must be safe. Well, you know, I knew Al was special because he started in the NBA. How old were you when you started? I started at uh, eighteen. Eighteen years old. Eighteen years old. I don't think I had my first kiss. And he was playing in front of twenty thousand people at uh, Madison Square Garden, um, and. But what was more impressive is he was one of the only athletes I'd ever met that had saved all his money. He acted like he was a big, fun guy, but he was just shoving it all in his pocket. <laughs> and so how did you get that? Like, where did you get that discipline or that mindset? Was it your grandma whacking you on the head? or Like, how did you? I'm going to be honest, Mike. Um, you know, like you said, you met me a little further down the road. Honestly, my first three years in the league, you know, I came in the league. It was a lockout year. I think my first contract was like maybe a total of about three million bucks. And um, I remember uh, one day in the locker room, uh, finishing up my third year, one of my teammates, his name is Derek McKee. He just started asking me questions about my finances to see what I knew. And I honestly didn't know nothing. And he was asking me how much am I paying fees and I'm this. And I'm like, I have no idea. He's like, well, do you know how much money you have? And I was like, I think I do. So I went and I looked and honestly, man, like to be all the way honest, I had like $375,000 in the bank after making almost 3 million bucks. And um, and when I told him that the next day, he was like, man, I'm going to help you out. He's like, I'm going to introduce you to my financial advisor, a guy named Billy Wilcoxon. He was uh, out of Lexington, Kentucky, old man. And um, when I got with him, so when I so before I chose him, I started to talk to other financial advisors. And honestly, um, what made me choose him was what he said to me. He said that you're not going to go broke on my watch. He's like, I'll fire you before you go broke with me managing your money and my reputation will be, you know, tarnished. And that's what made me choose him. And honestly, man, when I got with him, um, he was the one that taught me that shit, man. He was just like, look, you got to become more frugal. You have to start living off of a budget. Um, When I wanted to do all these business deals and all these investments, he would always say, like, he would challenge me. He would say, okay, you want to do the investment. What do you know about the investment? Have you done any research yourself? So he's the one that really started to just like, you know, bring me up and like made me you know become a real entrepreneur from the standpoint of like you know doing due diligence finding out the history of companies different things like that so it was literally my financial advisor that uh at the time we should should give him a a great shout out because he did a great job yeah when i met you you already had you know a pie was more than 25 million dollars saved i was shocked because i was like you gotta pay taxes you gotta pay the agent you gotta have some fun and i knew you were making a lot of money but it was still a lot to have saved back then and so, you know, when you were in the NBA, were you rare that way? Or was, it, or was the culture changing where everybody was starting to, to save money? Because you always read about these stories that people, you know, play four years, they get out and they're broke a year later. No, I mean, I think that still happens. You know, I think, Mike, I think the main thing with that is when you just think about uh, most NBA players, right? Most of us are black, right? Uh, most of us are first generation money. 
is how I is how I describe it yep. best, right? We we don't have anybody in our families that we can go to and ask for advice, right? Like this, nobody ever seen paying taxes at this level and understanding ways to, you know, uh, you know, not high tax money, but you know, just the way yeah, to maneuver. You know what I'm saying? Like nobody knows that. So a lot of times we come in and we have to trust people that we met for the very first time. And 75% of those guys are scumbags. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I think that that's the main reason why a lot of guys lose their money. And, you know, guys just don't understand, like, just how to man manage money, understanding real overhead, understanding, like, if you get five houses, those are five mortgages, five insurance, five uh, property taxes, all these different things. A and, wife you know, and two girlfriends, it all goes downhill straight. <laughs> don't even start with the girlfriend and the lifestyle. I mean, you can forget about it when you add that. <laughs> So yeah, it's tough, but I think the guys now, honestly, I think that um, financial literacy is uh, more available, especially like when I was getting towards the end of my career, um, they will have uh, like at least twice a year where they would bring us in and have us meet with different financial advisors or just people just for us to just think about the way that we manage our cash and stuff like that. So hopefully, you know, we, we're getting away from that. A lot of athletes being broke where guys are now learning to take care of their money and just become businesses, you know, themselves. Right. So you, you left the NBA, and we'll get back to the NBA because that's a lot of fun to talk about, but you left the NBA, and how did you kind of reset? What was, you know, you got people cheering for you for years and high-fiving pitchers, and, you know, you went from Al Harrington baseball, basketball great to, okay, I'm going to be a businessman. But how did, you, how did you become a business? You'd already been an investor. You had money. But this weed journey where you really became a major force in weed, uh, how did that get started? I mean, you probably like you. Probably, you probably like smoking it. <laughs> I mean, if I sit here and tell you I planned it, I'll be lying. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a big believer in God. Um, you know, even for me, getting into the NBA was like something that I didn't plan. Right? I didn't have hoop dreams as a kid. Like I I didn't dream to be the next Michael Jordan or anything like that. I wanted to play football because I was when I was growing up, I was kind of fat and uncoordinated. Right? Where'd you so grow up? I grew up in Orange, New Jersey. Yeah. So, you know, if you ask anybody that I grew up with, they still to this day be like, Al, how did you make it in professional basketball? Like you couldn't even run and chew gum. How did you end up being a pro? Right. So, you know, it started from that. Like, I just feel like, you know, I almost feel like I'm kind of predestined to like do what I'm doing. So, you know, to your point of like, what was next? Honestly, um, if you ask me, you know, year 12, I, I played 16 years. If you ask me a year 12 is when I started to finally think about like what's next, right? It was the coach, period. I love the game. I feel like I have a lot I could give to the game. Um, I love teaching. I love just being around the sport in general. So it was, it was to coach. But, you know, it all changed for me when, you know, when I had cannabis, you know, I had my grandmother try cannabis and, you know, she tried it. Uh, at first, she didn't want to try it, obviously. Um, she was just like, what? Because I kept calling it cannabis. And she's like, well, what is cannabis? And I was like, it's marijuana, weed. She's like, reefer? She's like, boy, I'm not going to smoke no reefer to help my eyes because she had glaucoma pain. So the next day, um, I came home from shoot around, and she was complaining about her eyes. And I was able to convince her to try it. She tried it. And, you know, hour and a half later, I go check on her. And she was downstairs uh, reading her Bible. And she was crying. And she was like, this was the first time she's seen the words of her Bible in over three and a half years. Wow. So that's what made me now educate myself. I already had the track record of learning to do due diligence and, and do my own investigations and stuff from my financial advisor that, you know, a year later, I decided to make my first investment 
into the cannabis space in the state of uh, in the state of Colorado. And this was obviously while I was still playing. So when I first started, same thing. Like I didn't know that I would end up being where I am now, being the largest black-owned cannabis, you know, company in the in the world. You know what I'm saying? Like I thought that I was just gonna grow medicine and just help, you know, small people, clients, patients here and there. And you know, as it kept growing and growing and growing. And what I really found was my purpose, right? The purpose around it was that I had finally realized that cannabis, you know, destroys black communities, right? 85% of all drug arrests in the black community are cannabis related, bro. And when you think about that, we don't own no farms. We don't own no trucks for distribution. All we we just in the hood, somebody drops it to us in bundles and thousands of pounds, but we're the ones that go to jail for it. So once I, you know, once I learned that, I was just like, look, as if this industry is going to blow up the way it has blown up, I got to figure out a way how I could use my platform to uplift, educate, and empower people of color to participate in the cannabis industry. When you think about historically rice, sugar, cotton, alcohol, the lottery, all those things, Black people were right there pioneering, but we don't own any of it, right? So I'm trying to change that with Viola. And because of that, it's funny, right? It's like, it seems like one of those things is like, when you focus on the give back, the give back, your riches is just, it just grows, you know. You're, you're singing my story. You're singing my song. I've, I've been telling that song for a long time. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So, but it just grows. That's awesome. Everything, you know what I'm saying? So, honestly, I mean, if you ask me, um, I think I'm, I'm more popular now for cannabis than I am for my basketball career. You know what I'm saying? So, but, I'm not going to sit here and say that I planned this. You know what yeah. I'm saying? It just, it, it happened, man. You know, I was, I remember I was at the TED conference years back when, when it looked like cannabis was going to get legalized in California. And I had this same thought. I was like, we got all these black guys sitting in jail still uh, for smoking fricking reefer. Uh, and it's going to get taken over by, you know, a bunch of white venture capitalists. And I was like, we should do a company called Just Weed, Just Weed. Uh, that was at least 51% owned by, uh, you know, black community or, you know, and I, and I found a guy and unfortunately he hurt his back. Stephen Mead, and so we never we never did the, the, the deed, but I had that same idea. But it's it's awesome to see you did it, because I I you know we spent a lot of time on in my office uh, on criminal justice reform uh, a lot, and it's kind of the the focus of our philanthropy, uh, and you know trying to find you know trying to find you would have been a big challenge, and you did it without anyone asking, and so that's pretty freaking cool, uh, really cool actually. And we still, and it's funny, man, like it's still, honestly, you know, uh, we are still in the very early days of this industry and a just weed company or, you know what I'm saying, initiative like that is still needed in the space, right? Because right now, currently we have this thing called social equity, right? And, you know, they're always trying to, you know, give, you know, people of color these licenses but with no resources behind it. Right. right. So that's why they, they most of them are failing. Right. Or they're being sold for pennies on a dollar because they just don't have the infrastructure or the resources or just the no wherewithal to be able to operate these licenses. You know, so that's something that, you know, obviously, you know, to your point, like I'm still working on that now, trying to figure out more funding so that we can really help these people and give these people a real opportunity at generational wealth. Right. And then also you just think about when you add on the fact that, you know, when people from your color, just your, your you know, your background, you're naturally gravitated towards helping those people, right? Yeah. So that's why it's so important for those licenses to get into the right operator's hands, people that can actually operate them and be successful so that they can give back to their communities. So tell me a little bit about Viola. Where does it operate? What do you do? 
So we're um so so we founded in 2011. Uh, we're in we started off in Colorado. Uh, we have a cultivation facility there. Then we went to Oregon, from Oregon to Michigan, California, Washington State, Oklahoma, and we're about to launch in four new markets uh, towards the end of this year, which will be um, Missouri, Maryland, Illinois, and Pennsylvania. So right now, we uh, in the beginning, I focused on concentrates. Um, concentrates was the only product that you could actually sell to dispensaries branded. And, you know, with my MBA background, knew how valuable branding was or whatever. So if we if we grew flour as caregivers, all they would do is you would sell it out of a, you know, a glass jar and just put it into a white thing and you would never get credit for your product. Right. So I always wanted to build a brand. So we started off with concentrates. We did concentrates for the first five years and then we branched off into flour. So now right now we have a full skew list. We offer flour, pre-rolls, concentrates um, and uh, vapes. And we're working on our edibles now. Uh, let's go back to basketball a little bit because I'm going to get yelled at by my son if I don't ask you basketball questions. Uh, best teammate you ever had in terms of just raw talent? Best teammate, raw talent. Um, it's, it was, it's between two guys. Um, it's between Jermaine O'Neal and Baron Davis. But I think if I have you put a gun to my head and said choose one, I think it would probably be Baron Davis. That's interesting. Uh, most memorable season? Most memorable season? Um, well, it's two. I mean, there's one going to the finals, my second year in the league with the Pacers, where we lost to Kobe and Shaq, the first of their, when they went on their first three-peat. But um, besides that, it was the We Believe team when I played in Golden State. Um, I thought that, you know, that run that we had going from a team that, that had made the playoffs in 14 seasons and the fact that we had to win so many games to actually get in. Um, that's probably my most memorable season for sure. Best arena has to be Madison Square Garden. I'm not going to be your best friend. Garden, bro, for sure. <laughs> garden. Definitely the garden all day long. Yeah. And and I guess what I you're... always say about the garden, man, it's funny with the garden. The garden is the one arena where um, for me, for home games, I always was nervous. Like I, my goal, <laughs> it was like my goal. I don't know if my goal was to play well or was my goal was just not to get booed. As <laughs> you know they will boo you in a heartbeat in new york so you were set, seven teams 16 seasons uh do you have affinity to one of those teams now or you just you know you you love the league you love the people it's interesting basketball even since you were you were there that sport just keeps growing and you know it has literally become the dominant sport in america uh i think yeah. I mean, football might argue differently, but I think, uh, is there one team that you're like, I feel like a pacer or I feel like a Nick or I feel like a. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a diehard pacer. Um, you know, that's a team that drafted me. Um, that's the team that I played the longest amount of years for. I played seven out of my, um, 16 years right. there. Uh, the Knicks, I just have a connection just cause I grew up a Nick fan. You know, yeah. my mom was a Nick fan. I had no choice but to be a Nick. Even I had to hide that I liked Jordans. Like my mom literally, like I told her I wanted Jordans and she bought me Ewings back home. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> what I you know what I mean? So um, I would say those are probably my two teams. And in Golden State, we get a lot of love just because, you know, the fans there feel like we kind of the ones that broke the curse and then everything kind of just took off from there yeah. or whatever. So those would probably be the three that I would say that I got the most connection to. Your your mom, is she still around? Yeah, my mom still, yeah, she lives in Indiana. 
Awesome. And what, and what does she think about this whole, like your, her son being a weed tycoon? Man, she, uh, at first she didn't like it. Um, you know, now she uses every day. Uh, just like <laughs> <laughs> I would try to get my mom to do mushrooms and she's like, you're no, I'm like, mom, it's good for you. Yeah. That's the new thing. Now I'm trying to get her to try mushrooms now too. So, um, but yeah, she's, um, you know, at first she was like, she was concerned about it, especially because I, you know, my financial advisor that I mentioned before he dropped me as a client because wow. I, you know, I chose to make the, the investment into cannabis and his exact words was, I'm not going to go to jail helping you launder money. You know what I'm saying? And he just didn't understand. And I get yeah. it. You know, he was very old. He was 70 something years old. And, you know, it's hard for people to understand that kind of change, you know, yeah. but, um, but, you know, for the most part now, man, it, it dominates, you know, my life. I don't go anywhere without people wanting to talk about it. I'm gonna tell you when I've really felt comfortable about it, uh, Mike, is um, maybe year two, three in it. Um, I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do full time. You know, I, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I knew I didn't want to work for anybody ever again. Um, I was thinking real estate, like big time real estate. Um, and I still obviously made some investments in real estate. But when I would go to meetings, you know, for different things um, and, you know, you go around the room and everybody kind of state what they're doing currently. Every time it would get to me and I say cannabis, like literally whatever we were there to talk about, whether it was tech or real estate everybody just would grill me with questions. Everybody would be so interested about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, yeah. what is this? And how are you doing this? And how is it the business? And how is it to grow? And this, that, and the third. And at that point is when I realized, I was like, you know what? Like, this is a conversation that people want to have, you know? And after that, I just started being more open about what I was doing. And, you know, here we are 11 years later. I'm going into yeah. my 11th year. And, and you got to think in the next couple of years, you know, if Biden or, or Biden's successor, you know, lets the Fed lifts the federal uh, caps off it and we'll really see it explode. Right? It's, it's really going to explode. It's going to really explode then. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of worried about the industry from that standpoint, because I think that when, you know, federal legalization happens, I think that the small farmers are going to get killed again. You know what yeah. I mean? It, it really sucks. Um, so, you know, in my opinion, the way I'm hedging my bet is building the brand. Right. Yep. Because I know these bigger companies are going to want to come in and buy things that are already operate running already, essentially. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I just really focus on trying to build a brand as big as I can, you know, around quality and consistency. Consistency is a big thing in this space because, you know, unlike other things. Right. Uh, if I buy, you know, Viola product the first time and it's shitty, I probably won't buy it again. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? How would so, you name it Viola? Oh, that's my grandmother's name. Nice. Yeah, this is nice. Miss Viola. I actually made a. Oh, she's still alive too. She um. I love that Shane. I was going to ask you about it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's her. So she um, she's ninety years old. Um, she's you know she has really bad dementia, and you know she just got diagnosed with uh, bladder cancer like two oh. months ago. So she's definitely on the downside of time or whatever. But you know she's still with us. Um, what really sucks is um. She don't really understands the magnitude of her name that her name is like. Yeah, that's a, that's such a darn shame because that's it's, yeah, it really because I remember when I first told her not that I first told her, but I remember one time we were having a conversation. This is when the dementia was kicking in. But the first thing she said to me, I was like, Grandma, you know, like, you know, your name is like all over these products everywhere. And she's like, I'm not going to go to jail, am I? <laughs> 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 I was like, no, grandma, you fine. <laughs> but yeah, but she's still with us. Thank God. And, you know, you know, biggest thing for her now is like, 
we just try to make it as comfortable as possible. You know, believe it or not, she still uses cannabis every single day. Um, we use it, we give it to her either in tinctures or I make her um, honey nut Cheerios infused or whatever well, so that she can get her medicine every day. I love and, that. You know, hopefully it's just a good, better quality of life. So family life, married, how many kids? Married, four kids, four dogs. Um, the kids, the kids are 12, 10, six, and four. Um, my 12 year old's an equestrian. That's a very expensive hobby. Oh, trust um, me. I, I did two girls and horses. And, <laughs> you know, I think everybody who makes a little bit of money does girls with horses and makes the same damn jokes about it. Cause it's a terrible I'm sport. Like, I'm like, I got That's why I work so hard just to pay for the horse shit stuff. Um, <laughs> then I have my, my, my 10 year old, um, I think she's probably going to end up being like an all-American soccer player. Wow. Um, she's like, she's like, like unreal. Um, I'm, we're thinking next year because she's so good and she's like so dedicated. We're probably thinking about homeschooling her so that she could just train, train, train for it. You know what I'm saying? So, and then my boys are the six and four. So they're just young and just like me, kind of chubby, uncoordinated. So I got to be patient <laughs> with them. You know, I got them in T-ball and they, they suck. But I got to remember that they're babies, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but um, yeah, I got a great family, man. God has really blessed me. Everybody's healthy. Um, you know, we were able to get through COVID. Um, you know, we all got COVID except for the boys. Yeah. Um, and everybody was able to be safe. So, you know, God is good and we're blessed. Awesome. Well, Alex, great catching up with you. I really, uh, I'm proud of you. I'm excited for you. I'm on Team Harrington uh, and Team Viola. Good seeing you. Be well. Good to see you, brother. I'll talk to you soon. I'll see you in a couple weeks. Yes, perfect. All right. Thanks, man.